The first half of the 2022 season is now firmly behind us and Charles Leclerc starts the second half just as he started the first with a, with a win, this time in Austria. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 214 and we are going to be reviewing this year's Austrian Grand Prix. I'm your host Tom Horrocks and today I'm joined by Ray from Everyday Motorsport. Hi. We've got uh, Aaron Harper from the Five Red Lights podcast. Hello. And Philip Matthew from the Grip Strip podcast as well. Hello. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star rating on Spotify um, and also on Apple Podcasts. And any reviews left on Apple Podcasts, we will attempt to read out on the next show. It really helps us climb the ranking, so please take the time to do that. And if you haven't done so already, why not subscribe to us on YouTube and click the bell to know when we are going live, like we are right now. Uh, and you can put comments in there. We will attempt to answer any questions in the post show as well. Give us a thumbs up, subscribe, share and comment as we do love to hear from you. So we're going, as I said before, we're going to join, uh, we're going to review the Austrian Grand Prix. But before we start, I just wanted to uh, touch on the, uh, some reports have come out about the deplorable behaviour of some of the fans in, in Austria. Now, we're not tarring all of the Austrian fans with one brush or saying it's just Austrians or anything like that. But I, I just wanted to, to mention it. And uh, F1 have come out and condemned the behaviour, which is reported to be of racist, homophobic and misogynistic in nature. Uh, just small pockets of people, but it's causing a bit of a stir on social media. So I just wanted to go through the panel and, and your thoughts on the behaviour. And are F1 doing enough to stop this? I'll start with you, Ray. Okay, so for me, it's a person of colour. You know, I feel like this isn't something acceptable. You know, I think we're in the 21st century now. I think you know, we are more cultured and more civilized than this. And I think you know, we need to be setting precedents that you know, this is not acceptable. F1 should just start you know, blacklisting these people because we can't just become every race, you know, ruining the occasion for everyone. Some of these people, this may be their first time entering F1. And you know, if they, their first experience is a bad one, you know, why would I want to come for a second or third? And F1 is shooting itself if they don't actually do something to actively discourage and deter this sort of behaviour, like banning people from attending these races by a couple of black of some sort. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. It goes without saying in a lot of the cases there. Aaron, your, your thoughts on this? Uh, I don't think F1 are doing enough. I mean, it's, it's difficult enough to police social media, which we're seeing. Um, try as we might. I mean, it, it has to be a self-regulated sort of thing. It's such a shame that this is happening because it should be a sport for all. Just end of story, goodbye, the end, that's it. It's a sport for everybody. Um, not just Formula One, every sport should be for everybody. Um, and it, it's, it's disgusting because these, these people have paid out money, good money to go and travel and be at the event. And some of the stories that I've heard are just they're disgusting. They're borderline scary. Some of what I've heard, I've seen people sharing stories about traveling to other races. I won't name which race they, they said, because it might lead you to aim your thoughts towards one uh, uh, specific type of person um, and their nationality. But um, it's just such a shame. And the difficult, the worst thing about it is it's so difficult to then police that because You've got so many people to try and filter out. It's a bit like trying to figure out who the track invaders were going to be ahead of the British Grand Prix last week. You can't figure out who they are until it's too late. Um, These people are the lowest of society. If they are found, if they are found to be guilty, they should be banned from the Formula One uh, events again. Uh, How you... I think that is is difficult, but there should be very stern punishment and it should be roundly condemned by all the drivers and the teams and the FIA. And for goodness sake, the the head of the FIA, Mohamed Ben Salayam, was there this weekend and giving it the, I don't know what what he was up to, to be honest, because some of his tweets were were a bit odd, but, you know, they should be doing more because they're on site and, yeah, it's just poor all round from Formula One to just put out a generic message. They should be doing more actively. And Phil, anything to add on to that? I mean, <clears throat> Ray and Aaron have already uh, said a lot. I uh, Reading about it, it's not surprising. 
um, considering the mass, the vast majority of fans. Um, they'll speak and we'll do whataboutism from last week and say, well, there was cheering or booing or whatever. I mean, it is sport and there is, you know, you can, you pay for a ticket and you can react how you want in a sense of booing or not liking someone. But in regards to actually being there and making it uncomfortable for someone, um, that is out of line, out of order, and the lack of institutional control, when you consider what F1 is in a lot of ways, isn't surprising, but it isn't justifiable. Um, The lack of response or the weak response is not surprising either because of the lack of true leadership and um, backbone that a lot of these people have. Um, it's, It's a shame, really. Um, the sport is in a place in a lot of ways where it's as good or has as much commercial appeal as it's had in, in years. Um, so many people are watching the sport. So many new people are watching the sport. Um, inclu- being inclusive and having more people come in and being curious about it all over the world is, is supposed to be a positive. But of course, with how society has become, um, the LCD, the extreme extremes of uh, uh, the fringes of the population have to ruin it for the, the rest of us. And then we're left holding the bag, essentially. And then when it comes to the drivers, you know which drivers are going to respond and you know which drivers aren't. And most of them are robots, and that's fundamentally an issue. And most of the team principles are the same because – they don't care and they're out of touch. And and then you have the leadership and not only the FIA, but Formula One itself. As long as they get ratings and as long as they're making their bottom line, it's good. The fact that people are getting harassed, assaulted, sexually, whatever, it doesn't matter to them. We race as one and and we race as one to whatever makes, uh, makes us the most money. That's what the we race as one means. Uh, it's not about being one with being inclusive to everyone, which is a shame, uh, but it's not shocking. Yeah, hopefully in this case, as we saw last week, actions will speak louder than words and the Formula One will come down heavily on these people, identify them and publicize what they're doing about it, not just brush it under the carpet. Because I don't want this to detach from what was an, an excellent Grand Prix, but it absolutely needs highlighting and needs to be in the in the public domain so that people are aware this is happening and we need to know what happens to these people and uh, and and what punishments are laid out. But uh, but moving on to what was an, an engaging an enthralling Grand Prix. I'm going to start with with you, Ray, talking about your your beloved Ferrari. Charles Leclerc uh, looked like a dominant win, but just how close did we come to another Ferrari double did not finish? So, you know, I cannot say just how how I felt last few laps of the race, you know, which Carlos just pulled off, off the side. He was going to overtake, you know, get the P2, and then we suddenly see, oh no, he's got, and he's got smoke coming out of the rear. He's got, and most later, he's just got fire. He's on fire. He's pulled up to the side. He's trying to stop the car. And my heart is like, what is going on again? And it's like, and my head is like, no, why, why are we back here again? Because, you know, they had the pace to win. It was going to be an easy one too, but, you know, number two car just went poof. And then, you know, later on in the race, when after the number two car has really, you know, been hauled off track, we have the number one car, which often clear, have issues. I'm like, oh no, not again. Is he going to, you know, just retire from the race? Because he has a really good lead on the race and that will definitely help in this championship because, for how many races you know, has, has he, you know, had pace, but ended up finishing, you know, not where he's supposed to be or end up finishing in the garage because his car just can't put together. And this, this time around, you know, it's more of a, even a safety issue because it's throttle and it's generally scary because you don't want to see any driver, you know, just coming straight onto the barrier because it's throttle, you know, it's just not working. And I'm very glad he made it to the end, of course, and he made it P1, which is probably even better. But I think, you know, Ferrari has to get reliability here. It's not safe, you know, to have a driver with a pedal like that because he could just slam to the barrier and, you know, we could have a serious accident because no matter how much safety, how much technology we have in modern day, you know, it's not a replacement for, you know, having a reliable and safe machine for drivers to use. 
Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and you, that's the last thing you want. Barriers and cars are not designed to be going full throttle into barriers, so that's that kind of thing definitely needs stamping out. Credit to Leclerc, he kept his head. It, he could very easily have, have let that go to his head, and and you know with Max closing on him from behind, it it could have been could have been a completely different result. Had Carlos Sainz been the driver directly behind him, I think we may well have seen a Carlos Sainz win uh, with Leclerc holding on for second. But uh, that isn't what happened, and and the guy who did come second was Max Verstappen, Aaron, and and from the very early stages, it looked like this race had completely gone away from him. But uh, still, right there at the end, it shows that the Red Bull they was it strategy, was it just pure Max? performance how was Max Verstappen still right there at the end of the race it was a bit of luck to be honest because without Carlos Sainz uh his his car grenading itself Verstappen would have finished third um at one point they thought they were I think they thought they were fighting Mercedes but then Ferrari brought themselves closer with the second pit stop but that was just Ferrari being doing the sensible thing for once because they covered off any threat of aging tires or anything. So they made sure they were one step ahead of Red Bull in that, in that respect. Um, yeah, they were, they were afforded the opportunity to get back on the mediums where they had a little bit more pace. And then the, the throttle issue for Leclerc made it seem a bit closer, but in reality, Ferrari had the best race car for the first time since Australia, which is pretty damning of where Ferrari have been says a lot about how Red Bull have run their car this season. And the fact that Verstappen finished second is a little bit of a save because it, it should have been a one-two for Ferrari today. So Verstappen will count his, his blessings again that, you know, fortune is shone on him a little bit. So 38 points still in the lead. It's not insurmountable for Leclerc, but Verstappen will back himself to deliver a world championship from this position halfway through the season. Yeah, it's not looking quite as as doom and gloom as it was, given Verstappen's history at this track. We all thought it would probably be a Red Bull 1-2, and uh, it certainly certainly opened up the championship a little bit and given us some hope of a championship fight in the second half of the season. Uh, but going on to the person that finished third, it was a third podium in a row for Lewis Hamilton, and on paper looking good. Uh, but was it just fortune again going against Hamilton with the timing of the virtual safety car, or, or was that just where Mercedes were today, Phil? I mean, I think the timing, of course, never really helps, uh, Tom. I know we talked about it in, in the chat uh, offline during the race. I also would say that Mercedes, when they seem to pit Lewis, always seem to have more issues than when they pit George. Uh, but, you know, that's that's a personal gripe that I've had since 2013. Uh, but it didn't hurt them for many years. In this case, it's more apparent when you're having such a huge deficit to the top two cars, um, at times the Mercedes has shown recently in these last few weeks a lot more pace. So it's like you need to minimize all these mistakes. You have to go and give yourself an opportunity. Of course, on Friday, the accident in in qualifying for both himself and the guy that we're going to talk about in just a moment did not help matters at all. Um the sprint race was processional and he couldn't get around a freaking Haas and um, to um, go from eighth and make it to third granted certain things of course happened 40 seconds behind the lead duo. It doesn't look as great as it could have been, but relative to where Lewis was say at Imola or at any number of races earlier this season, it's a lot more positive. The energy is positive. There seems to be an upward trajectory for Mercedes at the moment. Lewis is in um, good spirits, which is a key thing. And they're, wor- and they're maximizing points at a time that they do. they're at best the third best car on the grid. So if they somehow or another, you know, find the magic solution or solutions, as the second half of the season comes along, who knows what it could really mean in regards to the title fight, possibly uh, like the, you know, behind Max, because we all know he's going to win the championship probably. And then, uh, and then the constructors, we know that Red Bull's probably going to win too, but it could mean something for second. It could mean something for second in both the drivers and the constructors championship. 
Um, and then in turn, that would make it very inter interesting, put some more pressure on Ferrari, um, and, and it would be good. I think it would make it a good title battle behind what, you know, the inevitable. Yeah, looking at the standings at the moment, Mercedes, uh, they're, they're slightly further back from Ferrari than Ferrari are from Red Bull. So it's slightly closer at the top than it is just behind. But that's not insurmountable, the amount of points that are on offer these days in Formula One especially if Mercedes are get into a race winning position. But uh, I think that's, that might be wishful thinking on my part rather than uh, realis realism. But, but we'll wait and see what happens in the second half of the season. But, uh, but we're moving on to, to George Russell now, fourth place, a good recovery driver, eh? uh, third, dri third driver error in two races to my count. Uh, still stretches lead over Lewis Hamilton due to the sprint race points and, uh, on, on the Saturday. But should we be worried about George or was it just that he made an error and then came back and, and put in a good performance after the error? I think, you know, Tom, it's more of um, an error. Just, you know, I think no driver is perfect. You know, we saw, we saw Lewis, you know, he had his first crash in, in qualifying how many years, you know, on, on uh, Friday. So I think it was just, you know, one of those moments where, you know, driver just like slips and, you know, in this case, Unfortunately, he put Pacheco out of the race, which you know definitely was not good. I don't think anyone should see anyone you know being hunted into gravel and effectively having their race compromised. And yeah, definitely the five penalty was of course deserved. But you know, if you look from certain another angle, you know how George he recovered from that five from that five second penalty. He kept his head down, drove a clean race, relatively clean race at the end. And I think you know, I think that's I think that's a good thing. And you know, I think George is shaping up to be the future world champion that he will be. And some would say, you know, here to Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, he certainly certainly looks like he he's going to be the real deal eventually. Whether he's quite there yet, I mean, it's it's very very easy at the first part of the season when Hamilton was so far out of the standings to then come and uh, come and uh, and and put in some great performances. But don't take it away from him; he's done incredibly well. I've been really impressed with how George has done. So uh, moving on to Esteban Ocon, then Aaron, uh, a very much under the radar fifth place. Looked like he was racing Hamilton in the first in the first stint. And uh, is this where Alpine sit now? Are they are they firmly the fourth? best car now uh, i'm not sure they're firmly the fourth best car because on the right sort of circuit and on a clean weekend the mclaren is every bit as fast and maybe a little bit faster um especially in the hands of es esteban Ocon, the alpine has been remarkably consistent this year he's scored points at almost every race uh, i think he's had two dnfs and one non-score so for a driver in the midfield that is very, very, very good. And if Alonso had delivered that, everyone would be waxing lyrical about it. So we should wax lyrical equally because it's Esteban, because he is doing a fantastic job. And P5, keeping it out of all the mire in the midfield, being quick enough to stay ahead of the Haas cars, make sure he didn't get embroiled in any, any silliness with them. Uh, I think the Mercedes is always going to come past in the hands of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. It's fundamentally a faster car. So just to manage your race and deliver, then, you know, you've got to say he's doing an, an excellent and very, very good job. And Otmar Safnau will be very pleased. So it's not it's not the sort of form that's going to strike you as a potential world champion if um, Alpine deliver the car of all cars in 2023 or 2024. But he's certainly a driver who is capable. He's a race winner. Let's not forget that. So, you know, given the opportunity, there's every reason to think that he could win more races. Maybe a title is beyond him, but he's still a very accomplished racing driver. And he's showing exactly that because he's delivering result after result after result. And Alpine, I believe they would have gone above McLaren. I haven't looked at the table. I'll be they honest. are now level on points with McLaren, but McLaren level are ahead points. due to, uh, due to a better, better finishes. But, uh, yeah. Norris' podium. Yes. So the countback. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's, Alonso's had his difficulties and he still might yet lose his position in today's race. So Ocon's performances are almost single handedly dragging Alpine into the fight with McLaren. So you can't say fairer than that. He's doing brilliantly. 
Yeah, and Esteban is on 52 points and Fernando on 29 points uh, owing to his incredibly slow start to the season, which wasn't always his points. But like you rightly say about Fernando Alonso also being under investigation, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to him. But uh, we, what we will talk about now is is Mick Schumacher and uh, F1's driver of the day and his best ever finish up to 15th in the uh, in the standings now. Uh, the last driver on the lead lap. Was it as, as good as it looked for Mick there, Phil? I mean, considering where we were a couple of weeks ago with Mick Schumacher and never scoring points in Formula One, and I think the sky was falling for Haas with the pace at times, um, seeing him kind of wake up here at the front, just at the back end of the first half of the season is a great thing for Haas. We know that they're going to go and um I think it's going to fall away for them as the season goes on because of, you know, the development, but to see the pace he had this weekend, the, the fire he had uh, reminding me of a certain person that's very close to him. Uh, The, the fact that, you know, he was fighting with Lewis in the sprint being better than Kevin uh, on pace, a lot of the weekend it's, it's a good thing for Haas. And, and, and when you look at where they are relative, they're 17 points behind Alfa Romeo Sauber and they're seven points ahead of Alfa Tori. Both those teams have way bigger budgets and have seemingly more support in certain ways. Um, and that's a great position. I mean, relative to where they were last year, which was the absolute worst. But, um, you know, Mick is making progress. It's a good thing. Uh, Haas is looking like they're developing this car for right now, like they're making it better. And and Mick is getting confident. I think the confidence had gone away. A lot of accidents on street circuits. Now you're going to regular circuits. He's kind of learning his way, and it kind of fits the way that his whole career has been. In the second year of his time in the car, he goes and starts progressing and building up that confidence. Is he going to you know, be his dad? No. Is he going to be his uncle? Who knows? But for what they need right now, he's doing the job. And that's a, a great performance. And he showed a lot of fight and a lot of might. And I think um, it's something uh, that was akin to his dad. So it was really cool to see. Um and um, I'm hoping for more of that as the season goes on for Mick and for Kevin, honestly. Uh, but we will see how that goes. Uh, but great on Mick, driver of the day. Plenty of people we could have chose from today, but I have no problem with driver of the day, at least the voted one uh, of Mick Schumacher. Yeah, solid performance there. And a couple of good performances in a row with, with some bad luck. And I'll, I'll happily stand and say that I, I, uh, I'm i looking like I was wrong on Mick Schumacher. I thought those points would have been his only points of the season last time out. But uh, uh, it doesn't, certainly doesn't look like a flash in the pan. And um, moving on now to, to my favourite driver on the grid, Lando Norris. Um, I, I had my lederhosen out ready for, for an Austrian Grand Prix victory. But uh, uh, unfortunately, it, it was well away from him. Problems all weekend then, Ray. And uh, really for both. McLaren's but um, seems like a strong seventh place given how much he had to deal with agree George I mean you know we don't know how McLaren has been this season it's not really been the best car definitely not the car we thought they would be having at the start of the season because based on the previous trajectory the past three years but you know yeah like you said you know I think Lando drove a pretty good race all things considered if I'm not wrong I think he was one of those drivers who profited from Joe and the Alonso battle early on not wrong but yeah, I think it was just a really solid, very clean one, and uh, no mistakes. And he got a point, which I think is important for McLaren at the stage. Yeah, just the just the track limit, just the track limit violations, uh, blotting his copybook today. But he managed to recover from that well and had a great fight with the Hasses at one point as well. And and one of those drivers, Aaron Kevin Magnussen, comprehensively slower Hass all weekend seemingly, and uh, certainly on Sunday and potentially Saturday too. And still still ten points ahead of Mick. But does he need to be looking over his shoulder now? He might need to be because Kevin has thrown away some really good opportunities to score points. Um, the the banging with, of wheels with Hamilton in Spain was a great opportunity to pick up what probably would have ended up sixth or seventh in that race, considering Leclerc DNF'd and, you know, he probably wouldn't have never caught Hamilton anyway. Um, and then the same in Canada. 
they blew fifth and sixth on the grid and turned that into nothing. So, you know, for Haas to deliver a double points finish is, is very handy. And you've got to bear in mind that Mick is just hitting a purple patch, it seems now. And he's probably going to have a couple more races where he's very, very quick. But then, um, like all young drivers, they they work and they work and then they, they get that breakthrough. And then things maybe just tail off a little bit. So Kevin, he'll be sort of old reliable. He'll just keep plugging away, do a really good job for the team, help them point the car in the right direction and keep scooping up those those regular points. He just needs to stop um, sort of wasting those really good opportunities because the Haas hasn't had any upgrades, I believe, this season. So the fact that they're still scoring really solid points in the middle of the season with essentially what they brought to Bahrain testing is an astonishing achievement because you think about uh, McLaren would have put upgrades on their car, even though they've stopped upgrading now. Uh, Alpine have improved their car. Alfa Romeo, uh, Aston Martin. I mean, they've made a couple of small changes to their car. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Um, it's, you know, it's all coming together quite nicely for Haas. And, you know, as long as they manage the team right, then, uh, you know they'll be fine. Otherwise, if they if they do more of what they did on Saturday, they're at risk into of turning into even more of a B-spec Ferrari with a car that's made up of more Ferrari parts than their own, and a team management that won't issue team orders either. Yeah, no, I think I think it's either either France or Hungary their their first update is scheduled, but they're only scheduling one major update all season. So they're obviously going for down the route of understanding the car is more important than bolting on upgrades, which uh, which we did see last year. In fairness, with Mercedes when they we, they they weren't bringing updates to the car either. But uh, but ninth place then it was Daniel Ricciardo, two points for McLaren Phil, and uh, it was. Um, <sighs> How how important really is Daniel Ricciardo for the rest of the season for McLaren? Given that they're now level on points with Alpine, is this this is this is a really a make or break time for his season and potentially his career? Yeah, I mean, you Tom, as a McLaren fan, a lot of the people in our group uh, being fans of McLaren, I, it's we it's been on like on some of the other hits I've done recently here and. It, it's the it's one of the elephants in the room uh, with with Daniel Ricardo. Alpine is there as long as they don't step on themselves. They're able to go and seemingly score points most races. Lando is doing what he's going to do. He doesn't have as good of a car as he's had in probably the last couple of years, so he's not able to do as much at the moment. So, but he's still roundly beating him. It's not like when Carlos was there, when they would just kind of flip back and forth a lot. It would be a very close battle. It's not the same thing. I think I'm, I'm trying to remember who else Lando was teammates with, but um, maybe it's just those two. But um, the reality of the world is Daniel Ricardo is a Grand Prix winner, a guy who has finished third in the championship in the past, a guy who has driven for multiple teams and able to get them on the podium. He has to drive like that guy. There's pictures and stories about Colton Herta testing the car at Portimao. You have Pat O'Ward, who's who's hired by, who's a McLaren contracted driver and just signed an extension. And, um, you know, he's there. You have other drivers that theoretically would be in the mix for a McLaren drive. I mean, Gasly's now off the table, at least for a year, but... He needs to show up. I mean, Alonso came from 20th. They pitted him late. And I, I was like, oh, what are they trying to do? I, they're trying to backdoor points. Well, they did. He did. Um, Ocon was doing his thing best of the rest. It's kind of that quiet, non-assuming race. It was what Lando was doing a lot for the last couple of years. He'd be the good first guy after the big, big group. Ricardo has to be doing better. He has to be qualifying at minimum in Q2, getting into Q2, and definitely flirting with Q3. He needs to also be scoring points and not ninth place points. You know, top sixes, no, seven, eighth. You have to do that. I mean, they're not going to pull the plug. They, they call, he costs too much money. It's not, they're not going to do like I was watching a, 
Michael Andretti thing or a few days ago. And it's like, well, they're not going to pull the plug because they don't have the ready-made solution right there like they did with Mika Hakkinen. But if he doesn't show up, it's a two against one thing and you can't fight that way, especially in a battle that tight, that condensed. Um, uh, It's good he got those points. Uh, It was another kind of weekend that was kind of meh uh, until that point. It's unfortunate. I think we know what's going to happen to him. But um, if he wants to have a Formula One career after this year, I think he needs to pick it up here in the second half of the season, uh, to say the least. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking to see. He's one of my favourite drivers as well. But uh, but I, I completely stand by the fact that he needs to perform. He's he's in there with the 20 best drivers in the world. And uh, I, I think, really, he needs to be targeting Q3, not not just Q2. Because if that car is the fourth best car, even if it's the fifth best car, he should still be looking at a top 10 start. That should be his minimum. But uh, but we'll move on to Fernando Alonso then. So um, he committed early to a two-stop strategy to finish on the faster tyre, which looked like it was potentially going to work for him. But he's now under investigation as he had to make two stops under the virtual safety car array and uh, we don't know if that's going to come as a penalty or not yet knowing the FIA it'll probably come out in a couple of days time but what did you think he was capable of today without the problems? Okay I think Alonso you know, today if I I think he was actually my driver of the day you know I think he brilliant recovery drive from basically the end of the grid he started P19 and you know he got 10 and Remember, he was compromised strategy because the LP did some, as you know, the questionable decisions on the wall side. And yeah, that penalty, you know, whether he gets a penalty or not, I think that's, that's not shy with the fact that, you know, I think it was an out, outstanding drive, you know. What he had to, you know, he just charged through the field. And once again, you know, he just left thinking if LP made the world championship attending car, you know, what would not to reduce? Would he, you know, be fighting for the title or not? I don't know. But it's not something to think about and yeah I don't know if we get the penalty or not but even if it's a penalty I think it's once again a very good performance for him remember he is 40 years old he is I think he has driven you know for so many years in fact his, his career started before I think he was born so yeah yeah, way to make me feel old there. I remember his debut, but uh, but yeah. So the the uh, the person who who finished who started just alongside yeah, him, yeah, <laughs> the person who started just well not just alongside him, he started behind him. He started in the pit lane. Valtteri Bottas was just pipped by Alonso for for that final point. Started in the pits, unlucky, um, or was this just what Alfa Romeo had today, Aaron? Well, I too am in the uh, club of I remember Fernando Alonso's debut. So uh, I'll join you in the old boys club there, lads. Um, Valtteri Bottas, 11th from the pit lane is pretty good, but I think the Alfa Romeo was probably capable of a little bit more. Um, he would have started in the top 10 had he not had the engine pe- uh, penalty. So solid points were definitely on offer. So bearing all that in mind, I think 11th is probably a very good result considering where he started and the, the shape of the weekend. So the general pace was there and that's encouraging for Alfa Romeo. And that, to be honest, they have outperformed everybody's expectations this season. I don't think anyone would have had them fighting anywhere near fourth in the Constructors Championship because if they put a serious run of results together and a little bit of bad luck befalls McLaren and Alpine, then Alfa Romeo could be best of the rest behind Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes. And that would just be astonishing. So for Bottas to put in a performance like that shows that the car is, is working. I mean, Joe Guan Yu had some uh, nice battles out there too. So Alfa Romeo move, moving in a, in a good direction. Um, no points this weekend, which would be disappointing, although that, that could be subject to change. So watch this space. Um, yeah, I think despite no points, Bottas should be pleased with that. Nice, tidy drive, no incidents. Uh, probably didn't have quite enough porridge this morning. <laughs> yeah, and on a circuit uh, that that's he's obviously got uh, multiple wins and podiums at, and uh, certainly a strong circuit for him. It's even out outperformed Lewis Hamilton at this circuit several times. But uh, we, Alex Albon then in twelfth place, Phil uh, only really saw him when he was uh, getting a penalty for track limits. And this new Williams was touted as a huge upgrade, worth up to a second a lap. Is there any evidence of this, or is it just going to be a long second half of the season? 
I thought, I mean, I honestly thought, Tom, that he he had a, he, a, a chance to sneak that last point there for a bit of time. I mean, obviously, you had ages between the top three, Lewis, and then, you know, uh, the rest of the field here. Uh, the, the vast majority of the field was all very condensed together. Um, his car, unfortunately, I mean, with Williams, I, it's a lot of things. I think they got a lot more positive things going on in their junior uh, formula drivers than they have with their actual Formula One team, which is kind of sad and it's good and bad, I guess, in certain ways. But the fact to get 12th place for what they have, for the fact that their other car was nondescript, um, that tells you that he made the most out of the situation. Yes, there was three retirements, but you know the fact of the matter. I think that's the best that that car is. And um, yeah, the upgrades we didn't get to see them at Silverstone. A lot of craziness, a rain practice, then one dry practice. It kind of never came about, and then the accident. Then you have this week at a circuit which is unique. To Formula One, it's the it's like the short track of Formula One. Let's see at Ricard what they have to show. If both cars have it, then maybe we can make an assessment. I think this and Hungary, which is somewhat another, but uh, those two races, maybe we get a better read on the upgrades, and then can maybe get a further understanding if they're going to do anything. I mean, they're going to finish last in the constructors. Um, it's kind of, I have a hard time believing even with how poorly Aston Martin is doing this year, that they're going to be able to get 15 points, um, over the rest of the season. It's just really hard unless they qualify well, unless they kind of, unless, uh, Albon starts qualifying like his BFF George and getting second place or third place starts or whatever out of, out of his butt. Um, I don't think that's going to really happen. So if he keeps it clean, gives them data, it's good. It would be nice if his teammate would show up um, or if he had a teammate that would show up and then, you know, maybe they can make, make progress. But um, I think that's best of what they could do. Okay, and before we move on to, to 13th place, Lance, I'm just going to head back to Aaron because I believe Aaron's got some breaking news for us. You're on mute, mate. Sorry, I got carried away. That was so excited. Breaking news. Um, so, yeah, uh, Chris Medland has tweeted that Charles Leclerc has been summoned to the stewards for an alleged breach of Parc Fermé instructions. The summons relates to a breaking of the International Sporting Code article that says, failure to follow the instructions of the relevant officials for the safe and orderly conduct of the event. So, I've... I've I think this is fairly unprecedented. I've never seen this come up before. Um, in, in, in that, in that's the way it's unprecedented. So I'm not really sure what the penalty could be here. Hopefully, it's not at risk of a, a time penalty because it's actually after the race. So maybe just a fine or something. Or I don't know. But uh, yeah, just keep your fingers on the pulse on that. Okay, we will we will uh, keep an eye out on that one and certainly bring it to you if it comes to us before we before we go off air and um, and just if we have gone off air and it is a penalty I I uh, I, I just I, I I pray for you Ray because <laughs> losing losing another Ferrari win would be would be uh, heartbreaking I know but uh, we'll move on to you next and try try and focus and uh, <laughs> not be refreshing Twitter constantly but uh, uh, next up is Lance Stroll uh, had some strong battles whilst being overtaken by people today and. Um, but Aston Martin just appear to be going from from bad to worse. These, these upgrades don't seem to be working, and and the car just doesn't really appear to be anywhere. What, what's your thoughts on Aston Martin and Lance Stroll in particular? I think Lance Stroll. I think I think he's done what he can do. You know, not that it's a very high bar because you know it is true we're talking about here. Um, I think Aston Martin. You know, at this point, they just stopped developing the car. I think they've clearly somewhere, you know, somewhere, you know, the concept is just not right. I'm not. I don't mean to, I'm not any kind of technical expert or anything, but the fact that, you know, bought so much money in upgrades and everything, you know, it's not putting, it's not giving them the results that they expect. You know, it means that something, some, probably something is fundamentally wrong with the car, like we saw last year. And, you know, 
I think they have to stand out this issue first rather than just throwing money and hoping that you know it works because it's not how it's, it's an F one car. It's not some kind of like kid car where you just throw something and, and hope it works, you know. And they have they have the best battle, you know. I think separate really good ways, but you know, of course, we will talk about him later. And yeah, it's just they can't, the drivers are just doing the best they can with this kind of equipment. And I think like you know, Estimart has to do the better equipment for the amount of money that's going into the, into the facilities and their drivers because all I see at this moment is you know two drivers being wasted. You know, one four-time world champion is having his like career being wasted away, and another not so young driver, you know, maybe not so promising at the same time. You know, he's 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 just having his career wasted away. So I think they both did some better. Yeah, it's, it's, it just seems to be going uh, completely wrong at the moment for, for Aston Martin. Hopefully they can they can get it together for their sake in the second half of the season. But uh, moving on to Zhou Guan Yu then, Aaron. 14th, slightly more low-key event than last time. We didn't get quite as much camera time, ironically, even though he was out on the first corner. But um, will he be disappointed um, that he finished behind Bottas, despite Bottas starting from the pit lane? Or just glad to get back to racing? I think he'll just be glad to get back to racing, to be honest, because he... Even though he wasn't uh, apparently so sort of distressed about his accident, obviously massive accident, we're very glad still that he's here with us. Um, he'd have been pleased to get uh, two two days of racing action under his belt to keep building on his recent run of good results and good form. Um, he, yeah, he he struggled from yesterday, didn't he? From the uh, from the sprint where his car went into that strange uh, switch off mode never quite recovered but still you know a solid drive tidy there was some nice battles in there so again it's just it's just more improvement for him and he's, he's doing really well so it will just blow away the cobwebs of last week and allow him to to keep moving forward uh, just also to build on that bit of breaking news about Leclerc Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton have both been summoned to the stewards for the same thing so George Russell's <laughs> first win is about to realise. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a uh, probably a podium infringement or something, or parking in the wrong place or something like that. But yeah, okay. Sure, it's not FOM getting it wrong with their names on the the TV screen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, so moving on then to, to Pierre Gasly then, Phil, he, uh, 15th place. He started at the back, uh, or not completely at the back, but quite far back due to his uh, his sprint race indiscretion. But it, nothing just seemed to happen today for Gasly. And we didn't really see a lot of him. And when we did, he really seemed to be doing a lot. Still beat his teammate, needs to be said. But just AlphaTauri, is this just a bad race for them? Or, or was it more affected by the drivers? I mean, they're not really working with a whole lot, Tom. Uh, they're, their team, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of pace at a lot of racetracks. Um, they're, this is the worst that Gasly has been in a few years. Uh, you know, he's right now behind Ricardo, and on, he's one point behind Ricardo and one point ahead of Sebastian Vettel right now, and four points ahead of Mick and five ahead of his own teammate. It's not a good year. Um, Alpha Tori's eighth. They're seven points behind Haas, who got a double points finish here um, today. They're nearly halfway behind Alpha Romeo. So they've been a team that's been flirting with fourth, fifth, sixth for many years. They look like eighth is about seventh is the best they're going to do this year. Um, he didn't have a great race, um, cleaned out Seb, uh, in turn four and got a penalty. I I don't know what what happened with uh, AlphaTauri this year. They had an opportunity to take a step forward, and it looks like they've taken a step back um, with these new regulations, and it's a shame because they're wasting Pierre Gasly's talent um, for sure. Um, but he didn't have a great weekend himself, uh, which doesn't uh, when when your car isn't good, that's one thing. But when the drivers are not with it either, it also doesn't help. Maybe uh, going home for some home cooking a couple weeks' time might uh, help them at Ricard, but I doubt it. Yeah, this disappointing, uh, disappointing day for for Alfatori in general. And just just to build on that pain, then Ray, we've got Yuki Sonoda next, finishing in sixteenth, just behind his teammate. Got a uh, the finger wag from Alonso, the dreaded finger wag. But uh, this weekend was definitely one to forget from Alfatori. And what's your thoughts in general on them? 
I mean, like uh, Phil just said about Alphatari, you know, it's it's just been disappointing. Disappointing season, you know, past two years they actually proven to be really strong, you know, and you know, ever since they were labeled as a sister team, you know, I think the expectations, you know, the bar has been set higher, and unfortunately this year they just failed to meet it entirely. You know, uh, Pierre did have the best weekend, and yeah, the team as a whole is just underperforming, and I think for Yuki, I think he needs to. He needs to have some account kind of form because even though you know Red Bull may not have like some kind of replacement over there on the horizon for him, for all you know, Red Bull could just you know borrow a driver from somewhere else. You know, they have I mean there's Colton Hunter from America, we have Petal or what. Assuming you know they can somehow you know pay McLaren and buy out his contract. But yeah, I don't I'm I think you know Yuki just needs to do a bit better than this because like I, feel, I just feel like, you know, Joe is outshining him in this moment. Yeah, it's it's been a been an odd one for him from this season. I think he's, he's certainly showing he's closer to Gasly, but is that just Gasly doing worse, or is this you know, Snowden making a making a, uh, a a massive improvement? And I think with, with Alvatore having to, you know, normally taking a lot of parts from Red Bull with a whole new regulation set, they've got to design the entire car themselves. So uh, I think that might be part of the reason why they've dropped back. But uh, Sebastian Vettel in seventeenth place, Aaron, the final person on track to to finish the race getting to know the gravel very well this weekend this weekend relegated to last after track limits violation right at the end was it as bad as it looked for sebastian vettel well it looked like he wanted to go and spend time with his uh, bees somewhere in austria and he made every attempt with a bit of help of albon and gasly to head that way um it wasn't really ever gonna score points was it the aston martin well it could have in the hands of stroll because he just has this weird habit of arriving in the top five or something, and no one knows how he's got there. Um, but for Vettel, he just seems to be caught up in something at the moment, whether it's on the track with it with tangling wheels, or it's you know storming out of meetings, or it's wearing you know good appropriate shirts that promote good causes, um, and getting himself in the headlines that way. There's always something to talk about with Seb at the moment, uh, right? Or good or bad? Just a, just one of those. One of those as a world champion, you probably just brush off and go right onto the next one. Reset for Paul Ricard. Not sure how competitive the Aston Martin will be there either. And it just paints a bit of a sorry picture because here we have someone who has served the sport really well, continues to serve the sport really well in more ways than one, and. Yet, if this turns out to be his final season, it's something of a damp squib. It's a, you know, it's not the farewell tour that he would want. So, I'd like to see him continue another year to, to get a positive send off, if that's the way it goes. But I think there's still actually more to come from Seb. So, you know, just brush this one off and, you know, forget it, put it in the bin, move on. Yeah, I mean, he's not become a bad driver overnight. And if Formula One's gone away from him a little bit, then that that's fine. But I still think he's got a lot to offer, much like you. So, uh, so yeah, but moving on to then Carlos Sainz, the the, uh, the last retirement right at the end of the race, Phil. Absolute heartbreak. Retired from third place whilst trying to pass Max for second. And a very scary moment off track when he did retire as well. Yeah, his car um, was well done by the end of that um, deal. Uh it was pretty bad. Um, you could just see uh, Mattia Bonato's head going aflame as well because of all the penalties that they're going to end up having to serve because of all the power unit components that um, caught fire. It looked like a Lamborghini fire circa early 90s in Formula One or the Peugeots of the McLaren team back in the day. Um, that was uh, that was a epic fire. And the sad thing is Sainz might have had the pace to not only pass uh, Verstappen, but he was going to pass Verstappen. And then he would have possibly had the pace to pass um, Charles Leclerc and then get two wins in a row. I don't know if they would have allowed him to, but um, that is just, that's horrendous. Um, you know, from the highest to highs to the lowest to lows for Carlos Sainz, it's been this way the whole year. Um, it goes back to how Ferrari have just given away so many points this year uh, through any number of different manners. And uh, 
this one is particularly gutting not only for Carlos but the team because I was a one-two finish. They would have taken a lot of points in constructors. Uh, Max maximized his deal, so he got the fastest lap and all that. So he would have gotten whatever he was going to get, but they were going to make a gain in constructors. Carlos was going to gain on Sergio Perez. That that whole battle, it's it's just disappointing, um, and and it's really, um, really going to be the story of the season. Uh, we we're already halfway through the season for in general, but I think a story for the season for Ferrari is like what might have been um, because of all of these, you know, mechanical issues and all these other errors they have made this year. Um, Carlos coming off of the the best weekend of his career and then being in position to possibly, you know, pay it off again, get a second consecutive win, or at least get a second place to go and give himself momentum going to Ricard and going to Hungary. And now you have to start all over again and probably staring at serious, you know, grid penalties and stuff, you know, post summer break too, uh, which is just salt in the wound at the end of the day for them. So um, he had a great car. He had pace. Um, wasn't as pacey as the top two, but you know, you got to feel bad. You have to be gutted for uh, Carlos there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I genuinely think that uh, I, I'm not sure Ferrari could have justified keeping him behind with Max Verstappen closing like he was. But uh, but moving on to Nicholas Latifi, then then Ray, uh, another anonymous driver with no real screen time. But uh, was there anything that we can talk about for Nicholas Latifi for this race? I guess in all, it's I think it's just crashing back to reality. You know, last week was his, was a great weekend for him. You know, he made his first Q3 appearance. He would, you know, even though he was not for the upgrade, he looked like a hero, you know, he actually came home P12, which is pretty good, you know, considering he didn't have the upgrade package. And, you know, once again, sadly, you know, this is, uh, <laughs> he just came back, you know, he just like, the dream, you know, just snapped, he snapped off, uh, snapped away from the dream, and sadly, you know, it's just back to usual, back to business for him. And, yeah, just, he has got the upgrade because, you know, Williams, because the crash damage that Albon had, you know, in uh, the lap one incident last weekend. So it meant that he didn't get the upgrade this time around. And if I know, I'll get it in France. But yeah, I just don't see like, it's just, I think it's going to be, you know, his career is going to end up with, but I think because, you know, there's a lot of rumors about him replaced for next year by Logan Sargent, who's of course Williams, you know, a uh, young driver at the academy. And, you know, there has been a lot of news about that. So, and I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, Williams now have the money from Dorothy Capital. They don't need his money. And yeah, I just think it's, it's a career she could probably end on a bit of a whipper at the end of the year. Yes, it's, I'm a big fan of Logan Sargent. I'd like to see him get a chance in, in Formula 1, but whether he's got that, that absolute pace, I'm not entirely convinced. But uh, will, will he be an upgrade on Nicholas Latifi? We, I guess give him a chance and, and see. But uh, we'll move on to the, uh, the the final driver, the first retirement then, Aaron. Sergio Perez, race effectively ended at Turn 4. Uh, and I'm going to open the, gonna go to you first just to talk about this, but I'm going to open up to everyone else just to give their, their thoughts on, on the accident. Um, so start with you then, Aaron. Uh, so Sergio made a really good start. He was attacking George Russell into turn four. And then uh, in classic Mercedes Red Bull fashion, the Red Bull was biffed off at turn four on the outside. Um, didn't get as catchy a team radio message from Checo as we did from Alex Albon back in 2020. But his race was effectively ruined there because he was last and he had big damage to the floor. I saw the, the overhead shot where he pulled in I think it was the left-hand side of the floor was most damaged. I'm, I'm guessing that would have been as he went through the gravel backwards. So, yeah, it, it's been a rough uh, three races because after winning Monaco at DNF in Canada, rescued a second place at Silverstone, but then failure to finish again today, um, pretty much consigned... It, even though we already knew it, he's definitely going to be the number two to Max Verstappen now. There's no way that Red Bull can say, yes, you're in with a chance of winning the World Championship. So for me, I think the the fallout from the penalty was for, for the penalty was fair, but I'll let Ray and Phil speak first on that. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was certainly consistent decision. Uh, so well, from what we've seen before, but I know Phil, you've got you may have a slightly differing opinion on this. So the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I I looked at it and. And I, I get what you're saying, Aaron. And I mean, there's obvious history and with certain two drivers doing that and then getting into each other. I saw the cam, they show all the camera views and I look at George. Yes, I think in the end they were going to give him the penalty because he offed Checo. Um, but it's the first lap of the race. The reality is a Red Bull's a faster car. Checo's right now, generally, they're probably pretty even, if not Checo's slightly ahead of George um, overall. Um, you can wait another day. Um, you don't have to pinch uh, the driver down to where you give him no chance to even get off the corner. And the point is, that's it's a first lap of a 71-lap race. You can give room there if you really wanted to. That was his choice. George had a uh, George messed up, yes, and it was avoidable. And honestly, Checo could have made the choice. He could have went wide. Like my thing is, I I used the Vettel situation where Gasly cleaned him out. Gasly had a whole car, car and a half, and he still drove right through him. There was no room there. Now there's the glasses that certain fan bases have for how their driver drives. And then there's certain fan, there's just what is actually on video. I get that um, George should have been penalized and I do agree with that. Um, but I also say that that didn't need to happen. And, and, and Checo could have passed him and, and not only passed him, he would have been able to pass his teammate because he probably would have had more pace in him, which would have pissed off his bosses and would have been funny. And then he might've contended for the win. And that would have been in its own right, an interesting uh, piece because Checo um, Wilder sabotaging him and all that uh, they, they, he's running for second in the world championship. So he's got a battle there with the two Ferrari drivers. So I would think that that's what they're trying to do. Um, that's just me. Anything to add on that, Ray? Well, actually, no. I spent quite a bit of time actually, you know, watching that footage, watching slow motion, playing it over time. So I actually started, you know, actually do agree with Phil a bit on that area. You know, I think Checo could have a lot more space because I actually watched it and see that, you know, George, his wheels actually look like he's on full lock. So it's a case where he really did have that much room to go. And yeah, I think that, you know, Checo should have given a bit more space. You know, there definitely was space to the left. And, you know, I think his collision would be preventable, you know, if Checo had just, you know, given him that much more space. But yeah, it's a lap one season, 71 lap race. And I think a lot of the drivers just, you know, take a lot of risk on that one because that is where you know, thinking that you can make all these big moves there before, you know, these few start to spread out a bit. But I think, yeah, the penalty, it was justified in kicking, but made, but I think it's more of a, like, a closer to 50-50 rather than just fully squared on just George. Yeah, I think, to be honest, for me, it's it's the kind of situation that absolutely could just have been avoided. It, it didn't need to happen. I think if you're going to put your car out there on the wall of death on the outside in turn four, you're asking for trouble. But for me, George just seems, whether it's understeer or whatever, he definitely had space to the apex on the inside, and, and it just didn't need to happen. Uh, and as a result, you know, George certainly came off better, even with the penalty. Um, but it just put, took a driver out of the race unnecessarily. Uh, but we're going to now just talk about our driver of the day. The official driver of the day was Mick Schumacher. Aaron, do you have uh, anything to argue on that front? Do you have anyone else in mind? Uh, Charles Leclerc. He won the race. He he had to deal with this, possibly the scariest uh, malfunctioning thing you can have on a Formula 1 car, which is the throttle was staying open slightly or something. He was having to pull it back with his foot i mean i wouldn't even try that at 30 miles an hour on a street in london i mean it is the streets of london yeah there's going to be a lot of cars but i still wouldn't try it and he's I, trying to do that at like 170 miles an hour with max verstappen breathing down his neck <laughs> no thanks i used to have to do that with my mini actually back in the day. <laughs> uh so phil any any advances on drive of the day i mean personally i would have went with Charles. Um, I, if it was driver of the day or, or Carlos would be had finished, 
um, because I think it might have been one of those two guys. Um, I don't mind Mick because of what he's gone through, uh, but I think Charlotte was the driver of the day. He passed the guy. He passed the champion. Uh, so um, and passed him multiple times and had control until Ferrari decided to to go and add plan whatever letter it was, which was let's make the throttle not work. So then Charles will crap himself and then have a heart attack. So then he sounds like he's going to go and and do something that he sounded like he needed a drink in the worst way. He needed to take a load off. Um, after that deal, he freaked out and it was funny. Uh, you, you listen to his engineers like, Oh, as, as we see, it's the throttle thing. And then it's a little, Hey, J- Hey moron. I'm driving out here and I got, a guy that's about to go and pass me and he's a world champion. He's known to drive through and around people. I think I need some help here. And that's all you can tell me. Like, come on, man. I, I, I give Charlotte Claire um, driver of the day just because of that, because of the great help he got from his, uh, his pit box and the people that are sitting in there to get paid a lot of money. Fair enough. Ray, uh, any advances on driver of the day or are you going to be nice to Carlos Sainz and give it to him? Well, actually, you know, I did say earlier on Alonso just, you know, for being that, that monster drive. But yeah, you know, I think they made, did they do, you know, I think Aaron and Philip just made some pretty valid points, you know. I think Charles really got shot out of the stick from Ferrari there. You know, imagine, you know, having this driving at such a high speed, got this problem, and, you know, instead of having some help, they're telling me, oh, we got this issue, and like, oh, crap, this, this is happening. And, you know, it doesn't help, it doesn't calm you down, it just makes you we were like, oh great, this is what's going on and am I gonna am I gonna lose my way race win? It's like how I lost it from three years ago. You know, Max taking it away from me at the very end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I hope you've all enjoyed that. I uh, just want to let everyone uh, who, because everyone who, who does this does does this to help us out, and I'd like to give them the opportunity to to plug their own sources. So start with you, Aaron. Talk about the Five Red Lights podcast for us. So you can find the Five Red Lights podcast on YouTube or good podcast platforms. You can find my website at fiveredlights.wixsite.com slash 5rlpodblog. I'm also a journalist, so you can find my work on f1chronicle.com where I deliver the race and qualifying reports. Uh, the, quali- the race report for Austria is already up, so you can go and check that out on the website. And I also write for Inside F2, so I cover all the crazy happenings of the Formula 2 world, like when a driver wins the race and then gets disqualified later on. No spoilers, please. I've not watched it yet. <laughs> I, 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 heard so, I heard something about someone being disqualified, so it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Philip, tell us about the Grip Strip pod. Yeah, I've heard about a certain person getting disqualified too. Um, it hits close to home. Uh, but then something else happened, and that also hits close to home, which we will discuss on the Gripster podcast in the GSP roundup. Uh, amongst many things, we're on all different platforms, kind of like Five Red Lights. If you can find Five Red Lights, you can probably find the Gripster podcast. Um, Aaron's way um, cleaner and a much, much nicer lad than I think I probably am uh, in that sense. Um, he brings a great deal of professionalism to the table while I just tell you, if you don't like it, you can leave it. Um, but we go over all things motorsports. So not only Formula One, we go over IndyCar, NASCAR, all things all over the world. The roundup in its own right is going to be very busy um, going over Formula Two and Formula Three action this past weekend at Austria, but uh, stuff on two and four wheels. And um I'm at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. My co-host Josh Affines, JP Huffine on Twitter. We're at Gripstrip Pod and um, philipgmatthew.com, my blog site. We also post on there. And we're on YouTube at Gripstrip Podcast on YouTube. So you get to see uh, myself and Josh uh, do the recording um, and get to listen to it uh, raw and unedited. Um, I edit the show a little bit. Um, the wrong unedited version. So it's something that you can enjoy while you're at work. If you need to get informed about all things motorsports, 
it's a nice leisurely stroll through uh, the world of motorsports. So thanks, Tom, for hosting. Great job as always. And um, great to be on with you guys, Ray and Aaron. And um, great work by everybody here on the uh, F1 Grid Talk crew. Thank you, Philip. Really enjoy having you on and uh, always a pleasure. And Ray, would you like to tell us about Everyday Motorsport? Great name, by the way. Okay. Yeah, and plus kids are very nice fun. So you can just find me on YouTube. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Everyday underscore MSPRT because we're our characters. Okay, so uh, if you want to hear more from from Grid Talk, we have a huge back catalogue of shows you can go back and listen to, and all our race shoe shows, our race shoes apparently, our race shows go out live uh, on YouTube straight after the event, like they are today. The audio version again slightly later, which is on amongst other places: Amazon Fire, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, On the Studio and Pocket Casts. And we also have a Patreon if you want to help to contribute to us to uh, to help us do continue doing what we're doing. Everything goes back into the show to improve your experience. And you can also support us by buying merchandise from f1chronicle.com slash store. We will be back next week to preview the French Grand Prix in Paul Ricard. So uh, unless you're staying for the post show, we will see you all then. Goodbye. <laughs>